Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College Online Journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. Make sure not to miss a single podcast and subscribe to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast at iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite subscription service. The views expressed in this presentation are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of the U.S. Army War College, U.S. Army, or Department of Defense. Welcome to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast. I'm Buck Habrichter, Managing Editor of the War Room and your host today. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Many of us in military and government service have traveled the world representing our nation, but it's a relatively small number that can say they made it to the top and the bottom of the world. That's just what Dr. Michelle Devlin has recently accomplished. Michelle Devlin is Professor of Environmental Security at the U.S. Army War College and Professor of Arctic Health and Human Security with the National Science Foundation's UNI Arctic Center. She is a doctor of public health, registered nurse, and emergency medical technician. Dr. Devlin's primary specialty areas include the circumpolar humane terrain of the high north, environmental migrants, civil military responses to climate disasters, indigenous populations, and cross-cultural engagement with diverse and underserved populations. Those qualifications make her the perfect person to travel to Antarctica, and she took us along for the ride. Armed with a list of questions and her trusty iPhone, Michelle recorded her thoughts, her responses, and impressions as she traveled to the Antarctic continent. Michelle, welcome back to A Better Peace. So much of your work has been focused on the North and the Arctic region. Why are you going to Antarctica? And why do we care about Antarctica from a national security standpoint? It's important to understand that the polar regions of the world, both the North and South Pole, are changing very quickly as the planet warms. And as different areas of the polar regions melt, it presents new security challenges to us as Americans and uh, for other countries as well. So to give you an example, the North Pole is warming four times faster than any other region on Earth with climate change. And the South Pole is also very close to that. On general, on average, it's warming about three times faster than anywhere else on Earth, you know, other than up north. And this is creating all kinds of challenges as well as opportunities that we're seeing around the world. So, for instance, uh, if you look at the North Pole, the circumpolar world up there, we believe that that part of the world contains approximately 15 percent uh, potentially of the world's oil supply, 30 percent of the world's gas supply, and a significant amount of the world's rare earth minerals that will be needed, frankly, for a green, sustainable revolution in energy. We anticipate that there are similar uh, you know, resources, richness of resources in the South Pole as well. So despite its remoteness, Antarctica is still very closely tied with the, the global economy and the search for global resources. So essentially what we're seeing is that climate change is almost creating a new gold rush, if you think of that as the analogy for both the North Pole and the South Pole. We're seeing increased uh, economic interest, increased scientific activity, business activity and development both in the North Pole and the South Pole. Uh, our competitors, the Russians as well as the Chinese, are very active already and have been for some time 
in the North Pole as well as in the South Pole. For instance, when you talk about Chinese and their interest in, in the polar regions, they really do talk about both the North and South Pole together. They don't necessarily distinguish between the Arctic and uh, the Antarctic region. But they view both of these areas of the world as increasingly important strategically, politically, uh, economically, as we experience climate change on the planet as these regions warm. They become much more accessible to our competitors uh, and they are you know, of great uh, political interest to a number of different countries. You've stated before that most of your national security studies have focused on the North and the Arctic region. How will this trip impact the courses you teach at the War College and and future studies of of national security? So it's very important uh, for us to remain strategically competitive and to gain a greater understanding, certainly of what's happening in the Arctic region, but also in the Antarctic area as well. So that's certainly a major reason why I am down here in this part of the world right now. I'm actually a professor of environmental security. I study a lot about how the environment itself impacts us and what we need to know about it and how that plays out from a peace and stability and conflict standpoint. And uh, I actually will be teaching uh, on both Arctic and Antarctic issues from an environmental security standpoint in a few more months at the Army War College. So I think it's just very important for me to be here and to see a lot of these issues and to understand them firsthand. Um, I, I did live uh, up in the north uh, polar region, up in Barrow, Alaska, Utkiagvik, Alaska, on the north slope, uh, and returned from there about half a year ago before joining the War College. And there is nothing quite like living in a polar region in order to understand it. I call it part of the um, <laughs> gaining tundra cred, I guess, street cred. And when you when you do polar studies and environmental studies, it's one thing to read about it. It's one thing to get it conceptually. But there is nothing quite like being on the ground and actually uh, seeing for yourself and experiencing uh, environments with extreme con- uh, cold conditions. Uh, it was just so incredibly different. Uh, it was mind-boggling at times and really mind-blowing and, and again, fascinating to experience firsthand and to learn from different populations like the indigenous groups and climate migrants and other newcomers that live up north in the circumpolar world. So I'm equally uh, curious about experiencing the South Pole and going to Antarctica. It's just, um, it's unbelievable. I'm really excited to leave here and to embark in just a few more hours. I hope I survive all the nausea on the uh, <laughs> the ship for a few days uh, by the time I get there. But uh, anyway, really, really uh, looking forward to it and trying to understand a lot of these environmental security issues firsthand. So is this trip going to be all business or is there is there actually time for leisure while you're there? On the ice? One of the main reasons I'm traveling to Antarctica is that I am obsessed with adventure travel, quite frankly. And I've done uh, a lot of different uh, medical missions and and global travel, uh, like I'm sure many of our listeners all over the world, many different continents and countries. Uh, For most of us that do adventure travel, Antarctica remains the 
crown uh, jewel, the elusive, elusive continent that is so hard to get to. Of course, with ecotourism today and with climate change, frankly, uh, a lot of these more remote areas of the world are becoming more accessible to travelers. And so we are definitely seeing an increase in tourists going to Antarctica and to people involved in study tours. These are typically um, not for the faint of heart. You literally are going on a study tour to better understand the the continent. And uh, like many uh, people, I'm sure, going to Antarctica, we, we are fans of a lot of the golden age of polar explorers. One of my favorite was Ernest Shackleton, of course, like many other folks. And he had uh, a famous uh, advertisement that he supposedly wrote uh, for uh, to get people to go on one of his expeditions roughly a hundred years ago, as the story goes. And that advertisement reads, men wanted for hazardous journey, low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness, safe return, doubtful, but honor and recognition in event of success. That is either the worst marketing plan ever or possibly brilliant. What sort of response rate did he have to that? Shackleton apparently had more than 5,000 people apply to be part of his Antarctica expedition when he uh, apparently put that advertisement into a local paper in uh, in Great Britain, and including a number of women as well that applied for that. So even back then, uh, many, many people with a great sense of joie de vivre and adventure and wanting to get out there and do something that really challenges them from a travel standpoint. So one of my, uh, again, one of my favorite uh, quotations attributed to Ernest uh, Shackleton, if indeed he did write that. But I think uh, a lot of us, again, are motivated uh, to travel and do adventure travel by that incredible sense of wonder and excitement that we get going into remote areas that are rarely uh, seen by other other humans. So I'm very, very excited to go. In fact, I just ran into here uh, by the harbor in uh uh, Ushuaia, a group of uh, environmental uh, eco-tourists basically that returned from Antarctica. They were down there for several weeks and <laughs> I swear they kind of look like uh, if you've seen the movie The Ten Commandments and Charlton uh, Heston, uh, you know, where he plays Moses and he comes down uh, you know, from uh, Mount Sinai after seeing God and he, he has just sort of this glow about him and uh, you know, he's just can barely speak. He's just beside himself. So I'm not kidding. That is how a number of these uh, visitors to Antarctica uh, looked <laughs> right now when I ran into them. They could barely speak. They were just beside themselves with excitement and uh, I think feelings of accomplishment that they finally were able to get to Antarctica, this incredibly remote region of the world. Um, they were able to see it and experience it. They had difficulty putting into words what it meant to them. It was so transformative and so magnificent. And um, they, it was just really, really exciting to see people like that that had just returned from the ice. So again, I'm really looking forward to getting there in a few days and I and, uh, can't wait myself. So we shall see. So Michelle, you mentioned Ushuaia. Why don't you go ahead and explain what, what has been your route of travel up to this point and what will it be going forward as you continue on down to Antarctica? 
Well, it's an interesting journey. Uh, certainly it's easier today than it was a uh, hundred or more years ago during the great polar uh, expedition time, uh, but it's still a long, long, long way from home. So if you are in the War College area in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, you're, pro you're, going, you're probably going to be flying out of the East Coast, maybe somewhere like Kennedy Airport down to Miami, from Miami uh, connecting into Buenos Aires, and then from Buenos Aires connecting down literally to Fin del Mundo, the end of the world, end of the, uh, end of the earth, uh, to Ushuaia. And and it's the big um, embarkation area if you're going to Antarctica by ship, which is how most visitors and uh, you know, tourists basically get to Antarctica today. And Ushuaia, of course, is at the very, uh, very end, very bottom of South America in Argentina. It's in the Patagonia region in Tierra del Fuego. And it's absolutely beautiful. If any of you have been to uh, somewhere like Seward, Alaska, way up north, it is almost has that same look and feel to it. There's a beautiful harbor, beautiful bay area, and then you're surrounded uh, by magnificent mountains. And of course, we're at the end of the uh, Andes here. And so you've got these very, very tall Andean peaks, some of them still snow covered even in the summer. And it's the opposite time of the year, of course. So winter in Carlisle is summer. Uh, down, in, uh, down in South America. And then the town itself of Ushuaia, uh, looks almost very European. A number of their homes look almost like chalets. You do have a large uh, uh, influx, uh, former influx of people from parts of Europe like uh, Germany and Wales and other areas that uh, live in this part of the country. And so it's fascinating. It has a very, Euro like much of Argentina, it has a very European feel to it, but very Latin American feel and thus uh, is uniquely Argentinian and really incredible. And then people, uh, as I mentioned, if uh, you're here to get to Antarctica via ship, more than likely this is where you're going to be leaving from. If you are going to McMurdo Station on a different part of Antarctica, maybe you're a National Science Foundation researcher, potentially you're going as a, you know, as a research team, you're probably going to be flying and flying out of somewhere like New Zealand on potentially on a military, uh, military aircraft or official types of aircraft. But again, if you are, you know, here is a part of a study tour, you know, a study expedition to get down to Antarctica, Antarctica, you're probably leaving from Ushuaia, and it takes approximately three days by uh, boat, by ship, to get to the Antarctic Peninsula through the uh, famous, uh, infamous, rather, uh, Drake Passage, probably the world's roughest part of ocean where the Pacific and the Atlantic meet and churn, so very, very uh, rough area. And then here in Ushuaia, again at the bottom of, bottom end of South America where uh, Chile and, and Argentina are, it's in Argentina, uh, it's really an archipelago. There are many beautiful islands here with penguins on them. And you're going through, uh, for instance, the uh, the Beagle Channel where Darwin uh, uh, went. Uh, and many, many famous explorers, of course, were all over this region. Uh, Shackleton and, uh, and many others, of course, uh, for South Polar explorations were in this part of the world and, and these waters right here. So absolutely fascinating place and very, very exciting to be here. Shortly after this, Michelle actually boarded the ship that would take her further on her journey. 
She included several different briefings that she was uh, privy to, and we aren't able to include those in this episode for time purposes, but they will be available to the listeners on our webpage for this episode, where you can also find the notes for this, this podcast. We pick up again with her when she's on board the ship, and she talks about some of the preparation that had to be made, because this is a difficult journey across Drake's Passage. Well, it's 1800, and we have now embarked, uh, leaving Ishwai and headed towards Antarctica. We've already had briefings on how to wear the special life vests and then the special uh, suits, the rubber suits that we would wear in the event of people falling overboard or some type of emergency. We've been taken outside our muster stations and... Uh, shown the vessels, portable mobile vessels that we would be in in the event uh, of the ship capsizing. So it's all actually been very helpful. There's several Canadian Coast Guard folks here helping out as staff as well as crew and about 130 very eager, very chatty, uh, very talkative and excited eco uh, tourists headed towards Antarctica. Range of ages, different countries, uh, different cultures, uh, men and women, all very excited. Uh, but the big motivator here, frankly, for most people, continent number seven. These are heavy-duty adventure travelers, and they all want to hit continent number seven, Antarctica, the elusive land. So very fortunately, their trip through Drake's Passage was rather uneventful. And the next time Michelle thought to pick up and, and record again was as they were arriving on the continent of Antarctica. So with that, Michelle, can you give us your first impressions as you are, are stepping on to land there in the most remote continent in the world? Well, this is absolutely amazing. I think uh, we are all still in shock, but we have gone through Drake Passage and gotten into Antarctica the, and the Antarctica region. And we're here at South uh, Shetland Island and we have made land. And so we took Zodiacs across from uh, the larger ship and then are now on land. And I think a lot of us, including me, we had tears in our eyes. It's it's actually kind of hard to describe the feeling. And uh, people are really buoyant, but I think very uh, reflective. Very, It's a spiritual uh, experience, I think, and very sacred experience, I think, to be here so far away in a region that has been, you know, so poorly misunderstood. And it's uh, incredible. I'm on a gray, rocky beach. There are uh, just, you know, penguins. Two, penguins are adorable. Too numerous to count. Different kinds, chin straps and jet twos and others. And they're surrounding us and came out when we came up and are just very curious about who we are. There are large seals, sea lions. We've already seen a number of whale uh, in the waters around us. And they all these animals basically because they've not been exposed very much to humans before in a negative way uh they trust us and so although we're mandated to stay you know 15 feet away from these animals they uh they come right up to us to see who we are and to to literally to visit it's it's actually incredible so it's it's just uh amazing i'm actually actually speechless i feel like i'm babbling <laughs> but uh, it's amazing i'm so grateful to be here it's obviously a, an emotional event for you. Uh, beyond your adoring penguin fans that have gathered around you, can you give us a little more of the visuals of what it is you see there? So I am overwhelmed. I really get overwhelmed with, uh, you know, different uh, things in nature. But Antarctica is beyond belief. I, I actually get about having trouble speaking about it and putting my uh, feelings and observations into words, I would call it. 
magnificent, um, pristine, sacred, huge, just fundamentally massive in size. And because humans, you know, have not been on the continent, um, it, it's such an honor to be here and to be able to see it and to see these different creatures that live here. And it's just very, very old and ancient and a uh, just an amazing, amazing experience. Uh, you do, I mean, this is summer right now for them. So you do see actually um, a lot of barren rock, some soil. You do see a little bit of uh, moss, you know, growth, those types of things. Uh, but there is still a lot of snow and ice on many of the mountains. But we have been today to several glaciers that are very much uh, melting very, uh, very quickly, unfortunately. And in fact, for the past few days being here, we have had rain instead of snow. And the temperature right now is only about, uh, actually about 38 degrees. So relatively warm for this part of the world where that's unusual. So you've got runoff and water melting and running into the uh, nest of the uh, penguin chicks. Um, they're exposed to very icy water. Um, but it, uh, anyway, it's, it's absolutely incredible. There are a lot of icebergs out in all the harbors and, and the bays here that you can see. They are massive in size. But of course, we're getting more of them as they break off uh, as the climate warms and they break off from their source and then go floating around in the area. So uh, the presence of icebergs is very significant here. And Antarctica is full of sights and sounds and smells. Um, I think anyone interested in doing polar security should be here on the ground and understanding it firsthand. Uh, you know, you become one with the wildlife here. You become one with the terrain itself. And uh, the, the, you know, the sights are overwhelming. It's literally magnificent. I think it's probably the most incredibly beautiful place I've been on Earth, and I've traveled to about 70 different countries, and this, uh, this region of the world tops anything I've seen anywhere else on Earth in terms of sheer beauty and the emptiness of it. And you don't come here to find yourself. You, you get lost here, uh, which is what people often do when they tra uh, travel here. It, it really um, is humbling, I guess. Uh, it's again i'm just having trouble speaking because it's so overwhelming uh it's absolutely amazing here's a silly question what what does antarctica smell like it does smell uh, we talked about a uh, sense of smell uh you have a lot of guano or the uh you know droppings of uh, penguins and, and other animals you have entire penguin highways and the ice and snow where they walk we don't but they do and that's their area uh Get in, in, you know, you, you, it's definitely a marine environment um, where we are. So the waves are splashing all the time and little and big icebergs are bouncing in the ice. And that's phenomenal to see. It's just like one big white crystal continent. And um, the wind, you know, you change, uh, you change weather here every few minutes. So I think initially on our first day, we were out for two hours and I think we had six different kinds of weather that were going on heavy fog heavy mist rain sleet things would lift sunshine you know just very uh, uh amazing change in how uh, how the weather presents itself constantly 
but uh, a lot of penguin colonies all over. They are all over, as well as the skuas and the other birds that try to eat the baby uh, eggs and, you know, catch smaller penguins and that kind of thing. So there's always a lot of wildlife drama. Many, many, many seals, sea lions. Uh, we saw killer whales just a little bit ago. And uh, so it's, it's really amazing. But the sounds are incredible. In the background, you typically will hear a lot of the waves crashing of the Southern Ocean. And then the uh, nonstop chatter of the penguins is very, very cool. But it really, it's, um, it overwhelms your senses. It's so off the grid, literally. You know, literally the ends of the earth. And uh, it's amazing to see this entire continent. There's a whole nother part of the earth that we really need to be paying attention to, especially with climate change and, uh, you know, what that's doing in terms of melting and damage to the broader global environment. So, Michelle, I think this is a great place to pause part one of this episode. But before I let you go, I'd like to ask one last question of you is you've done a lot of work up in the U.S. high north and you've, you've lived above the Arctic Circle and worked with indigenous populations up in northern Alaska, up on the North Slope in the American Arctic. How do you compare the American Arctic to Antarctica and the South Pole? Well, there are definitely differences between both, and, and it's a great question. Uh, I, I would say in terms of similarities to start with, they are both uh, extreme areas to live. You're looking at extreme cold environments, very difficult, very challenging from an isolation standpoint and supplies and logistics and very, very remote. Uh, but you know, Antarctica itself is, is huge. You know, it's a continent surrounded by multiple oceans, right? But uh, the Arctic is a sea fundamentally surrounded by land, surrounded by, for instance, the Arctic Eight Nations. So that that's the most fundamental of all differences, even though they're linked by their extreme cold environments. Uh, the other thing would be that within Antarctica, I believe there have been temperatures recorded that are as low as minus 90, minus 100, minus 10, minus, you know, 120. It's it's extremely, extremely brutal, extremely cold for that. And you tend to see those temperatures more on the inside of the continent rather in, in some of the outer areas. And remember, it's huge. Antarctica is one and a half times the size of the United States. And in fact, in its late winter, when you add on the ice sheets, that size of Antarctica really doubles. So it's absolutely massive. Whereas, um, you know, in the U.S. high north, and uh, you're looking basically at the North Slope Borough, Northwest Slope Borough, Nome area, uh, very large, but nothing compared to the size of Antarctica as an entire continent. Um, it can also, uh, we talked about colder, uh, Antarctica is actually also the windiest continent on Earth and heavy winds can, can be just brutal here and come up very quickly and last many days, many weeks sometimes at a time. Uh, so very significant. And then uh, one similarity actually the Arctic and Antarctica have is that they are both deserts. And that, that often surprises people because, you know, we think of the snow and the white and, oh, they must be getting snow all the time. But in reality, the Arctic up north and then Antarctica down south are actually the, uh, you know, world's largest deserts. 
a lot of the snow you see just keeps, you know, blowing around. And I believe I'd read too that there are some areas in Antarctica that are so uh, dry, they actually have not had any kind of precipitation in hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years. It's that, that dry. Um, Antarctica also is very mountainous, whereas the Arctic, the American Arctic anyway, is relatively flat, again, as tundra. And these very tall mountains are, you know, some of them could be, you know, 4,800, 4, 5,000 meters, somewhere that range, uh, you know, roughly 14, 15,000 feet. So very, very tall, mountainous, rugged in, in parts of the continent. Uh, like the Arctic and Antarctica, their coastlines even today remain poorly mapped and poorly explored. And the biggest uh, difference you see too, of course, is that the northern circumpolar region is inhabited. It's been inhabited by humans for you know, millennia, thousands of years, the Inupiat and many other groups that have basically circled around the pole, uh, many, many different uh, indigenous populations live in the northern polar region. Uh, you've got over 90 languages, for instance, native languages, let alone, um, you know, people and others that come up there to work. Antarctica, of course, is not a country. It's a continent. It does not have a government. Uh, it does not have indigenous populations that live there. Um, you know, none, none of that type of thing. You don't have residents, a legal resident. Now, there are a number of countries that would like to claim that uh, potentially in the future and to change that. And that's why you see a number of nations trying to stake land claims somehow and a scientific presence basically on uh, the continent of Antarctica in hopes of in the future maybe potentially being to have a legal share of that land. That all depends how well that Antarctic uh, treaty holds up in the, by the mid, uh, by, uh, you know, the middle of about another 25 years or so from now. And then from a, you know, most popular standpoint, of course, the Arctic has the polar bears, Antarctica has the penguins. So you will, and nor will you see either in either region. So they're definitely unique. There is a tremendous amount of diversity in in the humans, in the ecosystems, the politics, you know, the, the physical terrain of these polar regions that we really need to, you know, try to understand here and better appreciate. And again, as we, as these regions warm over the decades through climate change and overall global warming, it opens up both polar regions to serious competition from a number of powers, certainly including us, uh, the Chinese, Russia's, and other, uh, who would, you know, have their eyes on these areas. Thanks again to Dr. Michelle Devlin for taking us along on this incredible trip. We look forward to hearing more of her adventures in part two of this episode. And thanks to all of you for listening in. Please send us your comments on this episode and send us suggestions for future episodes. Please subscribe to A Better Peace on your podcatcher of choice and rate and review this podcast because that's how more people can hear about us so that we can continue to grow this community for conversations like this one. This conversation is over, but we look forward to welcoming you again. Until next time, from the War Room, I'm Buck Haberichter. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. 
and have a great day.